From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Yeah, here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show, heard on the radio on 91.7 KLZR and around the world as a podcast. My name is Matt West. I am here to hang out and talk cars, and hopefully that is also why you are here as well. Now, I have a loaded show. It is a packed, packed uh, news week for car stuff. There's all sorts of interesting things going on, and uh, we're going to be talking about some things relating to Tesla and how they really own your car. We kind of touched on this with BMW in weeks prior and the subscription services. Well, Tesla just did something kind of funny that a lot of people aren't very happy about. So, yes, we'll bash on Tesla a little bit. Got to do that maybe like at least once a month on the show, I think. Uh, Also going to talk about, speaking of electric cars, there is a electric Corvette on the horizon. But more importantly, a prototype car caught fire and burned to the ground and so we're going to talk about that but rather interestingly dive into what it takes to put out an electric car fire uh i think there's some misconceptions of how the fires work uh how you put them out and we're going to uh go into some depth about that i have some cool audio as well uh from some uh fire chief Uh, there was a fire chief a fire specialist Uh, who commented on this, and I have some audio to play for you from them on this. Also, and I told you this was a busy day for topics and news and all that kind of stuff, Uh, we're going to talk about the Kia boys. Who are the Kia boys? And if you own a Kia, why should you be worried about them? And uh, Because you should be. You should be. They're up to no good because they have discovered a way to steal cars with nothing but a USB cable. Just a USB cable. That is all it takes for certain Kia models. And uh, it's become a very, very dangerous and out-of-hand social media uh, stunt, if you will. And it is becoming very popular on the Internet. Uh, So we're going to talk about that. Oh, I have a lot of other stuff, too. Like I said, busy, busy day. You have tuned into the correct car show. You are at the right place. Uh, Now, ladies, gentlemen... Toyota Land Cruisers. Before we talk about that, I want to, <laughs> I want to tell you I had a fun experience uh, earlier this weekend. I decided for the first time to do some header wrap on my Honda S2000. I got a um, exhaust header for it, an aftermarket exhaust header that is um, a little bit beefier, uh, might make a little more power, but the car's NA it doesn't matter. I got it cheap with a bunch of other parts, and I said, you know what? While I've got it off. I have never attempted a, an exhaust header wrap, so I gave it a shot. And if you don't know, exhaust header wrap is the process uh, in which you take a uh, wrap, a like a fiber cloth, basically. It's made out of sometimes fiberglass, sometimes it's made out of uh, different fireproof materials, and you wrap the entire, all the tubes of the exhaust manifold, essentially, or header, you wrap that with this um, this material, which what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to help um, with exhaust scavenging and exhaust temperatures so the exhaust flows better. I don't know if that's true, um, but what I did it for is uh, heat management, thermal management uh, in the engine bay because the exhaust manifold and the battery are very, very near each other, and uh, it's been cooking my battery. On these hot summer days, uh, the battery has just been getting boiled. I mean, to the point where it is 
hot enough. I open it. It's it's starting hard. It's you know it's a hot day. The car's cranking slow, and I open the hood, and there's literally gas bubbling out from the vents on the battery, uh, which that's not good. You don't want that. So. I put some battery heat shielding around that and then did the header wrap. You have to take the whole header off, which I already had it off, so that was convenient. And uh, But, oh boy, will I say that is a task I don't really want to do again. Like, I'm not going to wrap any other... Now that I figured out the right way to wrap it, I no, no. If any of my friends ask, hey, can you wrap mine? No, I will not. <laughs> I sp- it, it took me about three hours sitting there on the floor, trying to get the wrap perfectly, making sure it's perfectly tight as I'm wrapping around each tube with this fabric strip stuff. And the stuff has also got fibers that come out of it. Uh, and the fibers that come out of it are, um, they're not very friendly to your skin. You are supposed to wear gloves, which I was, but even then, they managed to work their way through the gloves and onto the underarm, like my uh, forearm, on the bottom side of my forearm. Uh, just... If you've ever messed with fiberglass insulation, say in house building or anything, it's the same kind of stuff, and it's dreadful. I hate it. Oh gosh, it was it was miserable. But it does seem now that it's together, to have uh, made a a slight improvement in uh, the underhood temps. And uh, <laughs> though I will, I'm sharing this story because there's a long winded story here because I found an amazing uh, couple of sentences in the instruction manual for this exhaust header wrap, which undoubtedly came from China. Reading the instructions, there's no way this didn't come from China. And remember what I said about the fibers on this being like fiberglass fibers. They make you itchy, they feel all prickly, and it's terrible. Well, the instruction manual here, and I'm I'm looking at this is just the first two sentences in the instruction manual with some a great example of some English here, which says, quote, there are so many fiber hair on your wrap, it made me uncomfortable. Do you have smooth one? <laughs> What is that supposed to mean? That's the that yeah, I think they're telling you that the fibers in the wrap um will make you itchy and 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 feel terrible, which they they do. But do you have smooth one? I, I don't know. I don't know. It beats me what they're trying to say. I think maybe maybe they're trying to sell a smooth one? I I don't know. I don't know. So, uh anyway, that's uh, that's neither here nor there. So I, you know what, you know what, you don't have to do. By the way, I will say we're going to talk about electric cars here a little bit on this episode. You don't have any exhaust headers that you have to wrap, but you do have batteries that can catch fire. So I, uh, what can you do? What can you do? But anyway, anyway, let's uh, let's move on to Tesla here because Tesla, um, they think they own your car, which. It's kind of weird because you bought the car, right? So we talked about this uh, with uh, BMW and the subscription services for things like heated seats. And that brings up the debate of who really owns your car. And obviously you own your car because you purchased it. It's different when you lease a car. But typically speaking, you own the car. You can get the final say of what you do with the car and how it behaves. Well, Tesla had an interesting thing because there was a gentleman who owned, and this is kind of going viral on the internet, and um, uh, hat tip to the uh, Louis Roseman uh, YouTube channel as well. He did a, uh, a pretty interesting video. Uh, he's more in the tech space, computers, uh, computer repair, things like that. Uh, but he did an interesting video kind of explaining this whole situation. But it started out with a Twitter thread uh, from a guy who works on Teslas, and, um, and he had a customer come in who said that they are the third owner of a 2013 Tesla Model S 60. Uh, and Teslas have a couple of different variants in their trim levels. 
The 60 is a certain trim that has a certain amount of battery range, and the 90 version has more battery range and more power and whatever. Well, he took his, uh, at some point, a previous owner. So he's the third owner. Uh, one owner before him uh, took the car in for repairs in which they needed to replace the entire battery pack. So the Tesla service center, uh, and it was swapped under warranty, I should add. Uh, this was an under warranty repair by pr presumably the first owner. Um, and they uh, they swapped the battery pack, but because they didn't have a Model S 60 battery pack available they used a model s 90 battery pack which has more range um now that said so this guy gets his more range he gets basically he has the 60 model but he has the 90 model battery pack so he's getting a little bit of an increase in range and again this was done under warranty at a tesla service center and years go by after this the car is sold a couple of times sold to the guy who now has it who takes it in for uh, service after the 3G network shutdown. He needed to get some new network hardware installed in the car to continue using its functions. If you're curious about the network shutdown, I did an entire episode uh, months back on that as that was happening and how that was affecting the car market uh, and specifically how that's affecting cars made in the past 10 years that use the 3G network for all sorts of functions, not just the you know, satellite navigation in the dashboard. It's used for all sorts of stuff. So he had to bring this car in to get the networking equipment inside of it upgraded, a different module for it, if you will, um, to compensate for the fact that the 3G network was going away. And uh, what they what happens is he does that. Then the Tesla service center notices, hey, your car says 60 on it, but it's got a 90 battery pack. That's kind of funny. So we are going to, without asking anybody, software limit it to the range that is adequate for the 60 model. Remember, the 60 model has a lower amount of range, which is about 80 miles less. And so he physically has the 90 battery pack. But now after taking his car in for a service that was entirely unrelated, they said, you're not supposed to have that. So we are going to software limit you to having what it would have if it had the 60 model battery pack in it, if that's making sense. That's absolutely absurd. Uh, in my opinion, that is ludicrous. And a lot of people on the internet are saying, well, he paid for a 60, so he gets the 60 range, and Tesla did nothing wrong, which is absolutely absurd because it physically has a different piece of equipment in it now. And he bought the car used. He didn't buy it new. None of that. He bought the car as is. And a car, a used car purchased as is, is exactly that. Legally, that, that's why when you buy a used car, there's that legal term. There's that document you have to sign, like say from a car dealership, uh, that says this is sold as is. That means if there's anything wrong with it, they're not liable for it. Likewise, though, guess what? If they sold you a car as is, and say you, you, you relate this in terms of a gas car, right? If they sold you a pickup truck that has a, you know, 5.3 liter um, you know, LS in it, right? Like a Chevy pickup or it's a 5.3 liter, like LM seven engine, you know, the iron block LS or whatever. Right. But someone along the road, a previous owner swapped in an all aluminum six liter LS V eight into this truck. Okay. So imagine that. And then the dealership, whoever sells it to you, and this still applies if it's a private party and private party sales. This is a lot of times kind of implied, um, and uh, but whether it's private party, whether it's a dealership, say that the previous owner swaps in the big six liter aluminum LS. Right. And then you take your truck back to the dealership to have a software update done on the infotainment system. And 
they flash a tune on it that makes it only have as much horsepower as the factory engine would have had. That's absurd. It doesn't work, right? Because you you would say, no, I bought that truck. However that truck exists, I bought that. I didn't buy the notion of the original car. I bought that. Whether it's modified, whether there's something wrong with it, or whether there's been something upgraded to it, I bought that in its entirety, right? And that's one of those things where Tesla coming in here basically is just saying they own your car. They should not have modified that car uh, via software and software locked it out of having a feature that it wasn't quote supposed to have. It doesn't matter. You physically paid for that battery pack and by software locking it out. Now, granted, they didn't uninstall the battery. This would be a whole nother issue if they said, uh, yeah, we're going to swap that battery pack out without asking you and put the smaller one back in. That would be different where this falls into a moral gray area is the fact that they're using software to lock this out, right? They didn't physically change anything on the car, but one could argue that by software locking it out, that is de facto uh, changing it still. It doesn't matter if they didn't physically remove that bigger battery pack and put a smaller one in. The fact that they have blocked it out with software uh, has the same result, I think. I think, again, I, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I think in a court of law, they would agree that that has the same net result, whether it's software or physically changing the uh, the battery pack there so um again one of the reasons why i it's i it's not so much tesla i'm bashing on here but it's the whole notion of cars that are very connected that have lots of different computers running all of the different systems and all of the different things you have when you have a car as connected and as electronically managed as one of these teslas you have the benefits of say having um, all sorts of abil abilities to remotely monitor your car. You can have an app where you can turn on the AC as you're walking to your car or all this. There is cool convenience stuff that you get by having a car with as much computerized control and as much network-based, you know, internet-based control as this. Um, you get cool features like that. You absolutely do. However, the downside, the dark side to all of this is also that manufacturers can do exactly what Tesla did uh, in this case. Now, by the way, Tesla did tell them after he complained to Tesla, they said they would unlock that feature for him, by the way. They did. Get this, though. For a $4,000 upcharge. $4,500. They said, yeah, oh, that's that's terrible, but we could lock, we could unlock it for $4,500. Does that sound like a money grab or what? So, uh, again, I, it brings me back to my point that I think, you know, cars need to find, manufacturers need to find a right balance between connectedness with cars, you know, in the modern age, but also not allow, well, while preserving, I should say, while preserve, you need that connectedness while preserving the fundamentals of private property here. And I think that's something uh, that is not very much uh, looked at in the tech space when it comes to smartphones and computers. That's not considered as heavily, and, and it's been that way for a while, but that's been brought into the automotive space now as cars have become more controlled with computers and things like that. Uh, it also comes into all sorts of things like uh, right to repair, for instance. That's another big debate that is both being fought on the uh, from the technology enthusiast perspective, the computer, I, I hesitate to call them, I was going to say computer nerds, but I'm going to say computer specialist, right? Uh, no offense, no offense. But um, that's a debate that's been fought on both the front of the technology sector and the automotive sector. That is one instance where these are converging. And this example of this guy's Tesla having this happen is another example of this happening here. And of course, you know me, you know listening to this show, what is my solution? 
How do we avoid all of this? And if you listen to the show, you, you know what I'm going to say. You're, you know I'm going to say just buy an old car, preferably an old crusty Toyota or maybe an American Motors product. Who knows? Who knows? You know, this has never happened to me on my uh, 77 AMC Hornet. Not once. And I, I, I have a strong feeling it'll never happen as well. So, oh man, what could I say? Hey, we got more stuff coming up right here on the show. This is just the beginning. There's a lot of things. I got an exciting piece of uh, news about some legislation relating to classic cars and classic car collectors and restorers. This is really cool. You want to check this out. And that's coming up right here in just a minute. And now for how things work with an engineer. Rotary engines. Regret. And that was how things work with an engineer. For more of how things work, go to patreon.com slash throttlewarrior. Right, those car sounds are courtesy of Bailey. That is his 2017 Ford Focus ST with bolt-on mods, sounding really good. And uh, of course, you may recognize Bailey's name because he also sent in the car sounds of the totally bonkers 400 horsepower Dodge Neon. That's super cool. He's got some fun cars, absolutely. And I want to thank you, Bailey, for sending that stuff in. Uh, and now, also, if you want to send in more car sounds do it there's no good reason not to why why wouldn't you want to have your car sounds on the radio and on a podcast heard around the world how cool is that come on you can tell your friends you can you can listen to it it's hey, it's good stuff right and if you do send in those car sounds i have an incentive for you to do that because when you do you get entered for a chance to win the automotive adhd keychain a 25 dollars part store gift certificate and the new prize, which I will announce right here, it is the Automotive ADHD sticker. Yeah! Remember when I said you're going to be disappointed by how simple it was? Well, this is a cool sticker, though. It is the As Heard On, the Automotive ADHD show. For instance, when you win the Car Sound giveaway, you get all that other stuff, including the sticker now, and then you can put that on your car. And you know how the keychain tells people when they see it on the table, they see it sticking out of your pocket... It tells them what sort of, you know, podcast you like to listen to. And now the sticker has the same effect, but in traffic. Everyone can know you listen to a one of the most mediocre car shows on the internet. And uh, you can proudly display that. And uh, that is fantastic. So uh, I will be posting some pictures of these. They should be coming in from the sticker shop here uh, sometime mid this week. So keep an eye out on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page for that. I will announce the winner. I know I delayed it last week, but I'm waiting on these stickers. I want to make sure I have them in hand here. Uh, and I will announce the winner uh, coming up on the following week's show. You are going to get those stickers, and I hope, I know you are going to enjoy them. You, know what? you don't even have to put them on your car. I mean, you can put them on anything. You can put it on the dryer in your house, your refrigerator, it's probably best on your car, but I'll leave that up to you. You decide. The power is yours. So uh, now one thing I want to get onto here is uh, before we talk about some cool collector car stuff, uh, before we talk about fighting fires with electric cars or fighting fires that are based around electric cars, as in the electric cars themselves are on fire, before we talk about that, Let's talk some initial D. Yeah, this is cool. So there is uh, the city of Shibukawa, Japan, is now theming their taxis 
after initial D. <laughs> this is kind of cool. Uh, now, let me explain real fast what initial D is. I've mentioned it on the show before. It is a comic book series or and a cartoon from Japan, uh, manga series or an anime, if you're hip to that. Uh, and it is uh, it is about a kid who races a AE86 Toyota Corolla uh, and... Um, Street races it and gets really good, and he basically beats everyone because of his superior driver mod, right? That's essentially, let's distill it, that's essentially what that's about. Uh, and it's got quite the cult following. It has a massive cult following. In fact, I single-handedly credit that show for completely ruining A86 prices. <laughs> I got into the A86 I have pretty cheap, but... They're not cheap anymore. Neither is are the parts, and and I I am still cheap. So I I I blame that show for driving up the cost of parts for those cars. But I digress. Um, the show has a lot of mainstream cultural appeal. It's uh, it's a fascinating example of car culture and nerd culture converging. I know people who got into cars as a hobby because of Initial D. Likewise, I know people who got into nerd culture and anime and Japanese cartoons who were already in cars, but they got into that other group of fans because of Initial D. It is a intersection of car culture and nerd culture, which that doesn't happen very often. It happens every now and then, but not super often. And uh, regardless, though, it is very cool. Now, the city of Shibukawa has... Uh, I, and when I saw this headline, I thought, whoa, they're going to have Initial D-themed like A86s and use those as chassis and have like FDs, RX-7s. And, no, no, it's not that cool. But it is still cool. Though they have Initial D-themed liveries on their taxi cars now. They're four-door sedan, Toyota Crown taxi cars. Uh, they have with the Tofu Shop logo on the side and the, the black and white panda paint scheme. And I, I think that's still kind of fun. Um Realistically, I think what they're doing is they're trying to uh, get some more tourism in that area, especially uh, coming off of uh, the pandemic in the prior years. Uh, I think they're trying to drive up some of their tourism numbers and get some more revenue in their town as a result of that. Uh, and is that going to work? Yeah, absolutely. Would I go there to see that? I totally would. <laughs> I totally would. It, it would be really cool. Uh, you know, and I, I've been wanting to plan a Jap Japan trip here uh, one of these days. I think that would be really uh, really fun. So uh, we'll see. Maybe you'll go take a taxi ride in it. How about that? That sounds like fun. So anyway, uh, I also, speaking of old cars, not old Corollas, though. Let's talk old American cars. Um, there is a new piece of uh, legislation passing uh, that is going to be a huge relief to classic car restorers. And this actually becomes... Uh, or this actually comes from uh, Arizona, specifically where the Barrett Jackson auction house is, where all of the very high-end classic collectible uh, cars go for the big auction that happens there, uh, which I have attended that personally. I attended Barrett Jackson back in 2018. While I was visiting friends in uh, Scottsdale. So uh, that was very cool. Very neat experience. Um, but one thing that has plagued classic car builders is that in a lot of places especially here in the U.S., it is illegal to remove the VIN tag from a car. And this is a law that stems back to the 40s and 50s. Um, and uh, it stems back to all the way then to, to prevent theft. Well, this law is entirely ar archaic at this point, and it is, it is intended to curb theft, obviously. It is intended to prevent that. And I even mentioned this on a show months and months and months ago where a gentleman out of Kansas bought a classic Corvette 
Uh, and uh, he spent a lot of money on a fully restored classic Corvette, only to have the government confiscate it because they said, well, in our inspection, it looks like the Vintag's been removed. So we don't know if it's been stolen or not. This says it's the original Vintag, but we're going to assume it's stolen, so we're going to confiscate the car as evidence. It wasn't stolen. It was merely restored. The tag was removed when they re- when they tore the body and the frame all the way down, a frame-off restoration, and they repainted everything. The restoration shop simply removed the Vintag to repaint everything and then put it back on. Well, that happened. Now, this gentleman uh, spent years uh, fighting this in court and ultimately won, which was a great piece of news, but it's an example of this law getting entirely misused um, because also the whole premise of classic car restoration didn't really exist when this law, uh, and it's I'm not citing any exact specific law, but these laws, generally laws to this effect came about around this time in, de- in many different states. And um, so they didn't have, the notion of classic car restoration really didn't exist then because, um, I mean, what's a classic car in 1950, right? Okay, that might be like a Model T, a Model A, well, those were still just old cars. No one wanted to save those, and you didn't have cars before that. There just weren't classic cars. There was no such thing as 50-year-old cars at that time because the automobile as a whole was only 30, 40 years old at best. So, um, and uh, now that said, uh, Barrett-Jackson, the reason I brought them up kind of at the beginning of this is because they were a major driving force in actually having this law passed. And uh, what's interesting is uh, in an interview with the uh, Classic Cars uh, uh, magazine, um, the president of Barrett-Jackson, Steve Davis, said that their push to change this legislation, essentially lobbying to change this sort of legislation, um, was a result of their, he says, quote, it was our motivation to do this was primarily for our hobby's health and the future to keep collector car or keep the collector car universe alive and well and keep those restorations coming. And that is a commendable cause. That is a very, very commendable cause. Uh, And also a business cause for Barrett Jackson, very clearly a business minded cause because their entire business revolves around being an auction house that sells classic restored cars it would it behooves them to do this it absolutely does uh but i'm not complaining about that at all this is really good and this uh legislation uh has changed at least in arizona barrett jackson lobbied the arizona house of representatives and the arizona state senate and this made it to the governor's desk there where uh governor governor doug ducey uh signed a bill that allows basically pre-1981 vehicles to remove and to have their VIN plates removed or replaced uh, as part of the restoration process. So that is a major win. This is, again, this is a major win for that. Now, pre-1981, I don't know why they picked that date, uh, because you could argue a car from 1981 is also now a classic and collectible. Uh, but that said, it's a step in the right direction. Uh, and that story I mentioned as well from a previous episode about that Kansas man and his Corvette, that whole instance has also prompted some legislation changes in Kansas. So what we need to see now is, um, and what it really needed too for this to get passed in a state like Arizona, was the backing and the money to politically back this from uh, an organization as big as Barrett-Jackson. Uh, and they pushed it through and they got it. It's pretty in my mind, too, common sense, um, especially on these old cars, especially on these old cars. 
Um, and uh, so that's a good thing. That is a good thing. And I would like to see this uh, spread around the country to different states. Uh, that would be excellent. Uh, now, I don't know. I can't comment for my friends listening in Europe uh, and other places. I can't comment on how this works in your country. I can comment on this firsthand from how it works here in the United States. Um, just because it was passed in Arizona doesn't mean it passes in other states. But that also doesn't mean other states don't have this law as well. There are some places that don't have laws about this. Uh, so regardless, this is a step in the right direction. I'm really that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's just good for everybody because, yeah, to curb theft, well, the theft and the way this stuff happens isn't so much happening with these classic cars that are perfectly restored or that are insanely modified. Uh, sure, they do get stolen, but the Vintag here is not much a part of tracking those cars down anymore in this context. It really isn't. Uh, the, the whole notion back in the, you know, way back in the day was you steal a car, and you, you steal another car or you have a good VIN plate from one car and you put that on another car that you stole. And that does happen. But nowadays, too, modern cars have VIN tags stamped into body panels in such a way that they can't be removed or modified without it being obvious. Uh, they're physically stamped into certain parts of the car. They do have the rivet on VIN tags, usually on the dashboard. And they've got the VIN in so many places Um it's a lot more difficult to VIN swap a car these days, though it does happen. It's a lot more difficult. So, um, yeah, I think this law, this is a good step. It's a good example. Arizona is doing this in a good way that is, I think, going to prove beneficial for other states to follow suit. So there you go. How about that? A win for classic cars. I do love me some good classic cars. You hear me talk a lot about JDM stuff, a lot about, you know, actual track cars, race cars, um, but I do find something very entertaining about going to just a classic American car show with some big block muscle cars, candy paint jobs, metallic flake and all the paint, all of that fun stuff. I, I do enjoy that. I, I can absolutely respect that in every way, shape, and form. Uh, and, uh, hey, maybe one day I'll, uh, I'll buy a muscle car that's old. Well, yeah, at least it's got to be old. I'll say that much. <laughs> so there you go. Now, coming up, we're going to be talking about... How to put out an electric car fire. And who exactly are the Kia boys? And why should you be worried about these guys? They're up to no good. I'll tell you about that here coming up in just a minute. Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve Turbocharged BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd and I bought a rotary. It's okay bro, we'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. For as little as $5 per month, you can put an end to Project Car's suffering and support your favorite podcast. Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now and receive special perks. Sponsored by Autoholics Anonymous and the Speed Council. All right, speaking of big block American muscle, that is Devin with his Volvo 240 sedan. What? Yeah, that doesn't add up, does it? Well, he's got an LS V8 swapped into it 
with a supercharger, nitrous, and water meth injection. How is that for your old Swedish sedan? That is so cool. Like when people, he says when he talks about having an LS swapped 240, everyone thinks he's talking about a Nissan 240SX. And then they're sorely, sorely surprised when they see that, oh, that that's not a 240SX. Nope. Volvo 240. I like it. That's also got a huge cam in it. Can you hear that chop? Super cool stuff. Remember to send those car sounds in. Get them on the show. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Or you can email me, Matt at throttlewarrior.com. Lots of people have done it already, and you're missing out. It's free. Do it. Do it. I, I, I'm just saying. <laughs> so now what I want to talk about next is putting out electric car fires. Uh, and this stems from a story about a prototype Corvette, uh, C8 Corvette, that is allegedly electric. The initial stories that came out about it said for sure it was electric. It was a prototype car being tested in Spain by Bosch, who is a supplier of parts for all sorts of OEMs. And um, uh, a lot of people claimed it was an electric car. It was all camouflaged and stuff. Uh, GM now says, no, 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 we don't know what you're talking about. We know nothing about it. It's definitely not electric. I think they're lying about that because people who firsthand saw the fire said that it was very much characteristic of, say, an electric car fire. Now, whether that's true or not doesn't matter, but it does bring me to an interesting topic because I was reading about this, and, you know, I've heard all about people who say, well, you, if you get an electric car, you can't put the fire out. It's going to catch fire. Um, and it, it just got me into researching this because electric cars really don't catch fire any more than gasoline cars do. And you got to remember, gasoline cars absolutely do catch fire. Gasoline is a combustible substance. Um, where the concern here comes from is that electric cars, when they catch fire, because of the way the battery packs are designed, inside an electric car battery pack, a lithium-ion battery pack, you have individual cells. Think of it like a, like a AA battery, right? It's not a AA, but think of it like that. Think of thousands of those all stacked up against each other you know, in this, this battery pack, and that makes lots of little batteries make this one big battery. And when one of those gets damaged and catches fire, uh, it then heats up. Obviously, it's on fire, which then causes another battery next to it on, on all sides of it to heat up. And then when that heats up, it also catches fire. And these lithium ion batteries, once they get hot, can experience uh, what they call as a what they call a thermal runaway incident, which is it gets hot and it's going to continue to get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter until it then spontaneously combusts. Um, and, you know, I, I think the public perception of lithium ion batteries has been tarnished by uh, and they are dangerous. I won't say tarnished, but our public perception has been um, definitely directed by the number of fires with cell phones over the past decade. Samsung infamously with their cell phones catching fire. Uh, of course, the um, uh, Richard Hammond and the Grand Tour when he crashed the Rimac electric supercar. And it continued to catch fire for days after the crash. That definitely influences public opinion. Um, and again, I'm not here to support nor bash electric cars necessarily. I have a, I have a specific opinion on how they should be used, and, and we'll get into that later. But regardless, um, it got me wondering, how do you put out an electric car fire? Right? Do you need a special fire extinguisher? They say, ooh, well, it's got lithium in it. And if you pour water on lithium, lithium reacts with water, if you're thinking of chemistry, right? That means if you put water on it, it's just going to catch fire harder, which that's not necessarily true. And that's because of the way the batteries are constructed. They're called lithium-ion batteries. 
but the type of lithium, the percentage of the lithium that they use in it is such that this isn't exactly a problem. If you just sprayed water on a solid block of elemental lithium, yeah, you might have a bad day. You probably don't want to, don't stand near that if, if you do that. But lithium as it's used in these battery packs um, doesn't have that issue. And uh, likewise, you know, they are actually able to just put these fires out with water. And, and I went down the rabbit hole on this and I found all sorts of information and specifically fire department training material on how uh, they deal with electric car fires. And they deal with this by simply, firstly, extinguishing the visible flames. And then once the visible flames have been put out with the water, they then their next priority is cooling the battery pack they want those battery cells that haven't erupted yet to be cool they don't want those to then experience a thermal runaway and catch fire so they take these big rams and jack the car up at an angle so that they can get to the bottom of the car because uh, on most electric only cars at least they uh, obviously the battery packs are on the bottom the whole floor pan basically is your battery pack um, and uh, so they jack it up with these big rams get under the car, and they start hosing the car down, the battery down, rather, with water. Their whole goal here is to cool that battery pack. And I have a piece of audio here I'm going to play from you uh, from a fire specialist. This is from a firefighter training video, which is why it might sound a little dry and kind of boring, but I promise it's it's informational and it's short. Um, this is uh, fire specialist Brock Archer talking about how they deal with this and how they need to cool the batteries. Cooling the battery is very simple. A long, continuous stream of water applied to the case of the battery is the most effective way to reduce the temperature within the battery and limit thermal runaway. The application of our hose stream should be placed on an area of the battery where heat is determined. We can determine where the battery is heated with our thermal imaging camera or visually watching the battery for areas where smoke and steam are venting from the battery. Okay, so again, that's basically explaining that their 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 whole goal here is to cool that battery. And uh, he goes on further as well to explain that um, they will cool that battery for 10 or 15 minutes, keep checking it. If it's still too hot, another 10 or 15 minutes in the water, and uh, they'll do this periodically, and then they will observe the car. They'll just kind of sit and wait, checking it with their heat guns, looking for other signs of, of fire and combustion for like 45 minutes to an hour just to make sure nothing else is happening and that it really is cooled down. Now, that said, they they don't rule out the possibility of it still catching fire days later. And in fact, they acknowledge that. However, uh, they train to have the first responders and what they call the secondary responders, i.e. the policemen, the tow truck drivers and all that stuff. Uh, you know, they, they brief them and inform them on how to handle this. Uh, here, we'll roll this next clip here. The vehicle should be kept 50 feet away from any exposures wherever it's being stored. This is because there's always a chance of reignition days or hours after the incident. Okay, so yeah, he says there's a chance of reignition there. And I think we know that. I, I, I think, uh, uh, yeah, that's something that we do know kind of collectively. Now, again, are electric cars any more dangerous than gas cars in that sense? No, not really. I mean, it's pretty common to see a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, you know, well, these supercars, these supercars seem to catch fire a lot, by the way. Um, but even in a passenger car, it can happen. Um, it's why on a lot of racetracks, they mandate you have a fire extinguisher in your car. I mean, one bad 
you know, connection with a fuel line, one bad, like, quick disconnect or something, that pops off and you start spraying high-pressure fuel in the engine bay next to the exhaust manifold, that's already hot, or maybe a really hot turbo. You've just been running the car hard, right? It's going to instantly catch fire. And this happens. It totally does. It happens with passenger cars as well. Um, you know, it, it, fire being something that only happens to electric cars is absurd. Uh, it's just, I think... As far as development goes with commuter cars and consumer cars, rather, we've gotten really good at making gas cars that don't catch fire. We've gotten pretty good at that. Ferrari still needs to learn about that. But overall, we've still gotten pretty, we've gotten pretty good at that. The electric stuff is, of course, new technology, though there's all sorts of safeties and things built in there. I also learned about how electric cars have these fusible links. They're basically... Um, they're basically like think like fuses like in your fuse compartment in your car you know and the way the way a fuse works is once it's overloaded with enough current it gets hot and then melts the link in between there thus severing the connection and then no more current gets through they just have giant versions of that big fuses uh with these batteries that if something goes wrong and the current gets too high melts the fusible link thus disconnecting the battery thus stopping the the process there so yeah overall they're pretty safe. Again, you know my thoughts on electric cars, uh, you know, and if you don't, if you're new to the show, welcome to the show. But I do believe that it's ridiculous for us to limit ourselves to any one technology. We shouldn't kill gas cars to have electric cars. Likewise, there's no reason to stop electric cars as long as we also have gas cars, too. Because as a society, you want to not be reliant on any one technology piece of technology any one fuel source more importantly and without getting political but we are seeing this a lot with the current state of events especially in europe uh going on with ukraine and all these different things that when you limit yourself to one fuel supply be that gasoline or petroleum and then you suddenly lose that that's a problem whereas you can kind of mitigate that you can diversify yourself it's like diversifying stocks and investments you don't just invest in one stock in the stock market it's like money you invested in multiple stocks and then you invest in things other than stocks you spread out and i think that's a healthy way to do it and obviously electric cars have a purpose especially if you live in a dense inner city yeah they're totally great for that likewise if you live in rural areas gas cars make a lot of sense or if you've got a lot of weight to tow, you got to go long distance. There's not going to be fuel in different places. Again, petroleum-based vehicles make a lot of sense for that. Uh, and also for sports cars. I'm sorry, electric cars are fast, but they don't involve, they don't have the driver involvement and the excitement of perhaps a slower but more fun sports car. Just my two cents there. So anyway, there you go. Now you have a little bit of insight into how they put out electric car fires. It's not... It's not nearly, nearly as mysterious and witchcrafty and, you know, odd as people make it out to be. Ooh, they catch fire and you can't put them out. That's just not true at all. That's just not true. They put them out. They're trained to do it. Fire departments across the world are training to do this now. And it's a, uh, I would consider the fire issue to be a non-issue with electric cars. I see it, I mean, I see it as, you know, the same risk of me getting in a gas car and blowing up. I mean, unless you're driving a Ford Pinto. Then you're having a bad day. Don't don't drive a Ford Pinto. <laughs> if you know, you know. But anyway, so uh, last thing I want to talk about here, because uh, I know the show's running long, but I want I want to fit this story in because it's interesting and it's really timely and relevant right now. And that is because the internet is a scary place. Yes, while the internet hosts this show as a podcast, it also is the home 
to all sorts of reckless and dangerous internet challenges and viral things. Because one thing that's been going viral for the past month now and has become a major, major problem is something known as the Kia Boys. And what this is, this is a way that people have figured out with certain late model Kias to start and steal a car completely bypassing the transponder key uh, ignition lock, uh, completely bypassing that. And by the way, that, uh, if you're unfamiliar, is a system where the key has a transponder, a computer chip in it that communicates with the ECU through the lock cylinder. When you put the key in, it communicates with that, telling the ECU this is a real key. You may now start the car. If you just shove a screwdriver in there and break the lock cylinder and turn it like you would on an old car if you were stealing it, it won't start. It might crank, but it won't start. Um, anyway, the way the Kia boys, the so-called Kia boys, are stealing these cars is with a USB cable. The box end of a USB cable breaking the lock cylinder open, slipping the USB cable over a part in there, and then just starting the car. And somehow they figured out that the USB cable is able to short out uh, or interfere with the transponder key system in such a way that the ECU now thinks it has a valid transponder key, which is insane. Who, By the way, what were they doing when they figured this out? Secondly, this is super dangerous because... Um, Starting a car with a USB cable, well, gosh, uh, literally everyone has a USB cable. Literally everyone has the one tool you need to steal a car. You could even, I swear, if you, you know what, if you did it right, you could probably even use the box end of a USB cable and break the glass with it. I've seen people do that with, well, obviously with spark plugs because those are porcelain, but I digress. I'm sure they could figure out how to break into the car with the USB cable and then start the car with the USB cable. Uh, and the problem here, though, is because this has become a viral sensation on TikTok. Uh, people have been posting dozens and dozens of videos, mostly teenagers who don't know how to drive, but they get in and they steal these Kias and they go wreck them. The whole point is to steal the car, post a video of you doing ridiculous things with it on the Internet and then wreck it. They're not even like your casual thief who is stealing a car to part it out and make money. No, they are on a they are on a rung below that. They are joyriders. They are, this is, this is again, very dangerous, not only for themselves, for a lot of other people. Um, this problem has been widely reported now. If you look up the Kia boys, um, you'll find news reports from news affiliates across the country, local stations um, from all over the country, Detroit, Milwaukee, Denver, everywhere. This has become a prolific problem because of uh, the Kia boys challenge on TikTok and uh, what I find fascinating is that they figured out how to do this, firstly. Uh, secondly is, how on earth did Kia not find this? Uh, how did they not know this happened? Now, they said on their latest model cars, they have resolved the issue. But that doesn't change the fact that literally hundreds of thousands of models made from roughly 2010 all the way up to 2001, or 2001, that's, that's the wrong way, up to 2021, um, have this problem. And this also affects Hyundai's too, because Hyundai and Kia are all practically the same company. So this affects a number of Hyundai models, a number of Kia models. Uh, and what I found interesting here too is an interview from a uh, YouTuber who goes by the name of Tommy G, who does on the street interviews with different people in a video that he claims is interviewing some of these so-called Kia boys. And uh, this is what they had to say. 
people don't know how to drive, so they gotta steal so many cars because they run through them. Because they crash them? Yeah, I know people who got 200 car thefts, 300 car thefts. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So and, and one of the issues here that uh, is brought up as well is what happens when these guys get caught uh, is uh, allegedly the, the jail sentences are, are minor. In fact, if anything, they're just let out of jail and then allowed to just go on and continue stealing cars. And where I think, the, again, I don't condone, condone stealing cars at all. I think it's an absolutely uh, egregious thing that you can do. It's terrible. But that being said, um, like I, I have even less respect for these guys than the average car thief because again, the average car thief is here just to make a buck and you know part it out, make money, sell it, do whatever, or use it to commit other crimes that also make them money. But these guys are just their 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 whole goal is to just steal cars and then crash them. It, it's incredibly destructive. And um, again, it's uh, let's talk about like internet challenges, right? Do you remember ten years ago? when the internet challenge that was cool was the cinnamon challenge, right? Like, you would take a spoonful of cinnamon and eat that. And it was pretty harmless. Some people uh, didn't fare so well health-wise doing it. It wasn't the best thing you could do. But likewise, it wasn't joyriding cars and crashing them and, uh, and you know, risking your life and risking other people's lives, too. At least with most internet challenges that are dumb, they only involve risking your own life, not other people's lives so anyway the yeah so now you kind of have a little bit of insight into who exactly the kia boys are now what i find interesting is that a uh, spokesperson for hyundai and kia said that 2022 models again are immune to this but that hasn't stopped people from actually trying it so even people who have for instance these later model cars that are not uh or that, that don't have the exploit where they can do this are still having their cars broken into because people are trying to do it regardless. Uh, and what I also find interesting is that Kia hasn't issued any sort of official recall for this, uh, at least as of right now, That not that I could find in my research, uh, that there's no official recall for this yet. And this seems like a massively recallable thing that, you know, they need to address that very quickly um, because that's a major issue. And... Not only are owners going to be getting upset, people might be getting injured, but also insurance companies are going to start getting upset because they're having to file all these claims for this stuff. Uh, and um, yeah, no go. It's a no go. Now, one thing I suppose you could do uh, as uh, to mitigate this is uh, the old fashioned steering wheel club. Do you remember those like from the, you know, from from like 20 years ago, right? Uh, the club, you put it on the steering wheel, you lock it up. Keeps people from, you know, stealing or at least driving away in the car, even if they manage to start it. So, uh, yeah, let's let's do some other like dumb Internet challenges that don't involve stealing people's cars. I'm all for that. Let's do that. Let's have have fun with it. But this is just I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it's no good. I'll tell you that much. So anyway, now, you know, kind of a kind of a public service announcement, if you will. Um, now, anyway, hey, I do want to thank you for joining me on this show. It's been a packed show. A lot of topics to talk about today. There's honestly more. I could I could keep going about it. Uh, more about the um, the new Toyota GR86 is experiencing uh, catastrophic engine failures now because of a, a design flaw. There's a lot of stuff. Well, you know what? You know what? I'll save that for next week. There is always next week. And I do want to thank you for joining me on this edition of the show. And of course, I want to thank everyone who sent in their car sounds. And thank my Patreon subscribers. It's been too long since I thank the Patreon subscribers. They are truly fantastic. And they are the reason I can 
do this show. And if you want to get in there, be a part of it, support the show, and also get early access to the show while you're at it, that's a pretty good perk. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Remember to give this show a rating on Spotify. Let's make them add an entire sixth star just for this show. Now, I'll see you right here, same time, same place, next week, when Carol Shelby tells me to take it up to 7,000. <laughs>